respiratory infection, yay for me, which means that um, I'm here and I'm on meds, but I won't act any different than normal. <laughs> it means that um, I, I will not hug your neck because I don't want you to get this, but I can shake your hand and you should be okay, all right? So we'll play with those rules and uh, you know that I do want to hug your neck anyway. So if you've not yet heard, our pastor has resigned. He resigned on Tuesday, not last Tuesday, Tuesday prior, and has not been in the pulpit or in uh, a teaching capacity or in the church uh, sanctuary um, at all since then. It was um, obviously a controversial resignation. Many people want to know the details about why our pastor resigned. So I have printed out exactly what I'm going to say for this part, this introduction, because I don't want to make any mistakes, okay? I'll make mistakes the rest of the time. No, I won't. But I'm choosing my words very carefully. So instead of speaking extemporaneously or off the cuff, I'm speaking reading, okay? All right, so pray for me as you're praying for one another, okay? Uh, I really didn't want us to come to this place, but it's been necessary. Several people have gone to the pastor with complaints. The worst complaint involves a moral lapse by one of his family members. This person unsuccessfully attempted over several months to draw another church member into this moral lapse. I met with all parties to reconcile them as is dictated in Matthew 18, 15 through 20. They did reconcile, and the attempts, as far as I know, have stopped. The pastor's family member told another church member about a devastating rumor about them. They claimed it was started by the person they previously attempted to draw into their moral lapse. The victim denied starting the rumor. That rumor widely circulated. Several church members considered leaving Central over those scandals. Some may have already left. People complained to individual deacons. They counseled them, urging them to stay in the church. Finally, the deacons met to discuss the scandal. They asked me to join them in one of the meetings. Ultimately, they decided to meet with the pastor and advise him to resign. Advise is a key word. They felt his ministry had become ineffective and the scandal and accompanying rumors were harming the church. It was agreed that it was better for the pastor to resign than for the details of the scandal to be made public. Those details would likely discredit the rumors. But if all were made public, many innocent people would be harmed. That is why the deacons said they would not discuss the details. Unfortunately, the statement from the deacons was written in a way that it could be perceived that the deacons forced him to resign. That is not true. They advised him it was best for him and the church to resign. As he stated in his resignation letter, the decision to resign was the pastor's. I share with you, with you this information to assure you that there was good cause to advise the pastor to resign. And I want you to know that the deacons did not overstep their role as servants. 
They acted as any church member who knew the details of the scandal was obligated to act. They want you to know that they have always and still believe that deacons do not run the church. Deacons do not call or dismiss the pastor. Deacons serve the church. But they are still church members and are obligated to follow the teaching of Matthew 18 just as much as the rest of us are. So let's look at Matthew 18 in light of what the scripture teaches us to do and as is relevant to our current situation. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. And somebody might need a hammer to nail my shoes to the ground because I have a hard time staying in one place. But you won't hear me if I move. Okay, Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. And you know what that means. The heathen and the tax collectors were, were, uh, people didn't want to be around them. Okay, is what that's about. Assuredly, I say to you, and here's the authority of the church. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In other words, if the disciplinary action comes to the point where the church dismisses a member from membership, heaven agrees. Verse 19. Again I say to you, if two or of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So let's look at the steps that you must follow in implementing Matthew chapter 18, church discipline. First of all, meet him alone. Meet alone with the person who has sinned against you or who has sinned against the church. Verse 15 says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you will have gained your brother. Tell him the sin. Be very explicit, very clear, very plain. Don't walk around it, but say, this is what you have done, and talk through it. Maybe I'm seeing this wrong. Maybe I'm not seeing this wrong. I remember one time I I preached at a church uh, as a fill-in preacher, and later on, I received a phone call from the lady, one of the ladies in the church, and she said, Brother Adams, I want to apologize to you for what I did. I said, uh, who's this? And what did you do? <laughs> and she had said something, and she thought I had, that she was insulting me or offending me in some way. Um, I wasn't offended then, but now I was. <laughs> no, I, and she, she's just overreacting. You can re- overreact on these things. Okay? Some things you can simply say, eh, let's just not even think about it. Okay? It's no big deal. Because if you talk to everybody that 
you thought you offended all the time, you would be on the phone all the time, and that's not very healthy. But there are times to go and talk to this person alone. The idea here is to keep the sin secret. You don't want to spread into the rest of the church. You don't want to spread into your workplace or where you go to school or your neighborhood. You want to keep it secret. And he may listen, and in most cases will. 99% of the time, probably, that's just a figure I'm pulling out of the air, but that makes sense to me, uh, that person will listen and the problem will be solved. The relationship is restored, and as Jesus says, you have gained your brother. Now, he's always been your brother, always been your sister, but now the relationship is, is, is complete again, and there's no animosity, no problem. The sin can now be forgotten and should be forgotten and never brought up again. But if the sin is not forgotten and keeps being brought up, there's not been any reconciliation, regardless of what he says to you in your presence. In the case of our pastor and his uh, family member who has caused the problem, the victim continually told the family member to leave me alone. Stop pursuing me in an amorous way. And it did stop, but there was no reconciliation. So the victim was uneasy in church situations. The, the, the victim would leave the church immediately after the worship service, lest he encounter that person. The victim got to the place that uh, he had a hard time worshiping and fellowshipping the victim had a hard time, impossible for that person to go to Sunday school anymore because that other person was part of the class. And that just, just this person did not want to leave an opening for that person to think there was an opening for the pursuit of this relationship. So the sin did not remain secret. Step two in this reconciliation process of Matthew 18 is to meet with a group, verse 16. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. You know there's safety in groups, right? Um, if you're being bullied at school, you want to hang out with a group, right? Because it's more difficult to beat up three people than it is to beat up one person. <laughs> if you're in a social situation and you're uneasy, it's better to be with a group. Let somebody introduce you so that you can, you can make friends with people. There's safety in groups in a church reconciliation as well because some people can get violent when they're confronted a second time. I mean, physically violent. And so group, group, group members can, can maybe mollify that or even prevent it. And also, group members serve as witnesses of the conversation. Regardless of our attempts to not be biased when we're involved in a, uh, a dispute, the offender and the offendee are both biased. But the person who's called in, the people that are called in in the group, are not biased. At least they shouldn't be biased, or they should call somebody else in. I'll give you a minute to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 17. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, fifth book of Moses, known as the Pentateuch, from the Greek word for penta, which means five. 
Deuteronomy 17, verses 2 through 6, is pertinent here because Jesus is referring to an Old Testament law when he says to take two or three witnesses with you. We'll start with verse 2. And these are the laws that, that Moses has received from God and is giving to Israel. If there is found among you with any of your gates, which the Lord your God gives you, a man or a woman who has been wicked in the sight of the Lord your God in transgressing his covenant, who has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, either the sun or the moon or any of the host of heaven, which I have not commanded, and it is told you, and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination has been committed in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates the man or woman who has committed that wicked thing and shall stone to death that man or woman with stones. Whosoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. Now, uh, of course, this is an extremely serious matter in ancient Israel, and this is uh, a capital crime worthy of the death penalty. We're not talking about anything worthy of the death penalty here, but we are talking about the obligation of those who have knowledge of the sin. Back to um, Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew 18, the Bible is telling us that if you have knowledge of sin, as is mentioned in Deuteronomy 4, 17.4, that you must investigate. It is your obligation as a church member to investigate. Now, I'm not talking about gossip. I'm talking about find out if this is true. And then when you investigate and you meet with the people that are involved, you must attempt Justice. Justice can take all kinds of forms. In, in the Old Testament, in a capital crime, it was stoning, with the accuser to cast the first stone. In the case of the pastor's family member that recently happened a couple of months ago, five people met. There were two couples, two on this side and two on this side. Both those couples were, of course, biased in, in favor of their interpretation of the facts. That does not mean they were not truthful, though. I believe everybody was truthful, because I was the, the, the fifth person. And as the fifth person, I was neutral. I love these people. I love these people. I believe these people. I believe these people. I, I had no dog in the fight, okay? Whichever way it fell, it fell. I was then and I am now, and I'm always committed to truth. I will never lie to you. And you know that. And I wouldn't lie to them. And they knew it. So it made me totally unbiased, uh, and I suppose uh, good for the job. So we talked about it. And the person who uh, was pursuing the other person admitted to their sin and apologized. And as far as we all knew, reconciliation was achieved. 
And everybody said, we're not going to talk about this publicly again. And I said, very firmly, if you do, it will be a matter to be brought before the entire church. So keep your mouths shut. And that's as blunt as I was. Keep your mouths shut. But the news of the sin continues to spread. The pastor's family member spread a rumor that the victim was spreading rumors. I know this as a fact. Okay, This isn't speculation. I heard this from the horse's mouth, the person who received the rumor. This rumor discredited the victim, making their side less credible. People began to question the pastor's control of his family. First Peter chapter five, I'm sorry, first Peter chapter three, verse four, if you want to turn there, please. You might want to mark it for your Bible in your Bible. You know, we will be looking for a new pastor soon, and so this is a good this is a good uh, Passage for you to look at word by word. I just want to point out one qualification in verse 4. One who rules his own house well. Paul told Timothy, if a pastor can't rule his own house, it means to lead them well, not just lead them, but lead them well, he is not qualified to be the pastor. Whether you're calling him or he is operating as a pastor. Some people said and came to me and said, he is disqualified because of that. That's a matter of interpretation, I suppose. But, the, but, but because of that and other things, people began to question the pastor's ability to lead our church. And several people said, because of all of this, they were leaving Central Church. They may be gone. We may have lost them forever. Good, solid members. And if you're listening to this um, on, uh, online, I need you to stay with me and understand that it's not just a matter of changing your, your jacket when you leave a church. It's a very serious thing. So let's look at step three. Bring it to the church. Back to Matthew 18. Specifically, verse 17. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Now, what is this tell it to the church thing? Well, quite bluntly, it's a church trial. You may never have been part of a church trial. I have never been a part of a church trial. And I hope I never am. Because this is what happens in a church trial. There is a business meeting called or our business meeting's already been called, and someone accuses publicly a church member of a moral failing. That person defends themselves, or doesn't defend themselves, refuses to show, and then the church votes whether to dismiss that that member from the congregation, or to absolve them of the accusation. Either way, it's bad. Because either way, people are going to think, well, they did it because they were accused. You know how people are. Either way, the church suffers because some people will say, well, a church, what kind of a church is that to throw people out? And other people say, why wasn't it done sooner? So it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an ugly thing. I've seen people, well, uh, 
when I was early in ministry, had only been saved about eight months, <laughs> maybe, maybe 18 months, but not very long, I attended a church in a small community of 1,200 people, and the previous pastor had become a drunk. He was drunk all the time. And so they, deacons went and investigated because they were asked to. And yes, it was true. Everybody knew it because 1,200 people you can't. But they wanted to confirm. And they told the guy, listen, give up drinking, apologize to the church, retain your membership. He said, I quit. Take my name off the roll now. Solve the problem. He left. Okay? You can't do anything to outsiders. They're not, they're not our responsibility, even if they were once insiders. So a church trial is given, but lots of times, most of the times, it can be avoided. There was no need for us to have a church trial in our situation because the relationship was supposedly restored, might have been restored, as far as, as, far as we know. But the rumors continue and grow and grow and grow and grow. And I don't even know how many rumors there are uh, in addition to the original rumor. We do not know who started the rumors. Was it the victim who started the rumor, which was what the rumor was about? Or was it the pastor's family member who said the rumor was started by the victim? Well, we don't know. I don't think we'll ever know the answer to that, and I don't know if it's necessary to know because the pastor resigned. So let's look at steps that, lit, that led to the pastor's resignation because that's what you really want to know. And once again, I regret having to give you this information, but most of you know it anyway. But I'm not naming any names, okay? I'm trying to be gender nonspecific so you can't know either, but you probably. But there's a difference between you knowing and me saying it aloud, okay? And I'll explain that in a minute. So, steps that led to the pastor's resignation. There were problems with the pastor. Many have complained for months about the pastor. Um, I have, I quickly wrote it down as I was traveling here, this list, which you cannot see of complaints that were given to me specifically about the pastor's behavior in and out of the pulpit. The complaints increased after the scandal was made public. And some of the complaints were related to how the pastor handled the scandal. Several, several, there were several attempts to bring reconciliation one-to-one. -one. Many people told me and I'm not looking for information. People are coming to me, okay? People have told me that they specifically went and sat and talked with the pastor one-on-one -on -one with these complaints. Some related to this, some not related to this. So there were several attempts to bring reconciliation one-on-one. -on -one. The deacons met with the pastor. Why? Because... Some of them as individuals had complaints. And all of them went to serve as witnesses when they went to talk to the pastor. The pastor resigned. He avoided the public details of the scandal, which I have not given you. I've given you what I can give you, but I can't give you any more without harming people. 
And he avoided the results of Matthew 18, 17, which says this. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So now we can rebuild. The pastor can rebuild his ministry. If he'd been under church trial, it'd been over for the rest of his life probably. Maybe not, but probably. We can rebuild our church because it's now you have an explanation of why this happened. You know that it's not the, a deacon-led church. You know that the request for resignation was not an insistence and it was not made because you didn't like how long he preached or any one particular thing. There was just too many bad things happening and too many rumors spreading. But innocent people are now hopefully protected. Now, why do I say hopefully protected? Well, let me tell you this. I, I sat down and I wrote out a list of all the people that are members of the family of the victim. And then I added to that list all the people that had come to me and complained about this. There were 33 people. 33 people have been directly hurt by this scandal. And these 33 people's names will not be publicly mentioned because we're trying to protect their privacy. This includes victims and their families and very close friends. All of these 33 people, well, some of them were children, so they might not know the details. But most of these people know the details, every gory detail. But most of the church knows the details, every, many gory details anyway. And the entire church has been hurt. And some of you are thinking, well, people will leave from, because they didn't like the scandal. People are going to leave because they didn't like the, the, uh, the suggestion that the pastor resign. Well, what do you think we ought to do? Let it go and just let the the church implode? Well, I know that you're hurt and I'm hurt very badly. We're trying to keep the details private. Now, if you read the media, you know lots of times for certain offenses, uh, the media will say we will not list the names of the victims out of their their privacy. And you know know the reason why. You know the reason they they do that. They refuse to reveal the names of the victims because revealing the details or the names are harmful. If I told you the details of this scandal, if I told you even the first rumor, you would know everything, every name. And that would be offensive to the people who are involved. And they would be embarrassed, too embarrassed, possibly to remain in this church. The rumors have nothing to do with the scandal. That's the curious thing, except it seems it is an attempt to make the victim look like a liar. You know the classic thing, make the victim the victim, or the perpetrator, right? Make the victim the perpetrator, and then that deflects from the perpetrator. Anyway, it seems that the rumor attempts to make the victim look like a liar, thus discrediting their position. I'll remind you that the pastor's family has all family member has already admitted 
to their guilt in the scandal. Admitted to their guilt. So that's not a, that's not a question at all. So what is your response to the result of the pastor's resignation? Not talking about the scandal, talking about the resignation, okay? Well, first of all, you need to accept it. It's a done deal. It has happened. There's no turning back on it. And you need to accept that the deacons who went to talk to the pastor are honest men. Some of these men have served. I don't even know how long these men have served as deacons. I've been associated with this church for over 30 years. Remember twice. And some of these guys have been here longer than that. They've been here a long time. Have you ever known them to lie? Have you ever known them to be unfaithful? Have you not seen that they have always proven that they love Jesus and Central Baptist Church? Some things you do not know probably, unless you're a deacon or a deacon wife. Do you know that these deacons have reached into their own pockets and their own businesses and given people in need money? Probably thousands of dollars of money. Never said anything about it. Don't want anybody to say anything about it. Don't want anybody to pat them on the back. They are servants. They love you. Do you know that the pastor, all of our pastors, as far as I know all of our pastors, have and, and, and I've been in the meetings when the new pastor comes in and with the deacons, uh, several of those meetings, they always say, we are here to give you advice if you want it. You know that the deacons come and give advice to the church. Very often a resolution will come in a business meeting from the the deacons. Why? Because they thought and they prayed. And they're not saying, we need to do this. They're not saying, you have to do this. They're saying, this is what we think would be good for the church. And the church, very often, if not always, has accepted that resolution. Why? Because you trust them. Because they are godly men. And so when when the deacons have gone to the pastor and talked to him and given him advice, listen, your ministry is ruined. And we're not saying it's your fault. We're saying it's ruined. And then the ministry of Central is ruined. But we can all recover. If you, in in the goodness and love of your heart, show that you love Central more than you love yourself, resign. That's all they did. It was in everyone's best interest. And the pastor voluntarily, as he said in his resignation statement, did resign. Now he can rebuild his ministry and all of us can put this behind us. That's what we need to do. Put it behind you. If people come to you and they want to give you further explanations or this this, this stuff is not true, just say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. It's over, okay? It's over. The only thing that can happen now, as I can see it, is for the truth to be distorted. And and I heard a rumor the other day that the truth was already being distorted on it. But it's a rumor to me, okay? Now let me tell you that you need to, and now I'm fixing to preach. Have I preached yet? (laughs) Now I'm fixing to preach, okay? Members of Central Baptist Church that are here, that are listening on the internet. 
fulfill your obligations to this church. When you get married, you promise till death do you part, don't you? You you promise your loyalty. When you join a church, you promise your loyalty. Now, of course, you may move to another city. Uh, Something might happen where you have to leave because, uh, well, because maybe your spouse dies and you want to be with your children. That's happened before. But unless there are extenuating circumstances, you're a member of this church. You're a member of this church unless you leave this church. And, and, And while you're a member of this church, you can't just take the church off like you would a jacket. You have some loyalty here. Leaving the church for a a reason like this scandal is like divorcing your spouse. Now think about the implications of this. Divorcing your spouse, leaving the church. If you leave Central Baptist Church, you must start all over again. You must, first of all, you must find another church. And then you must join it. Now you say, well, i got friends in that church. They know me. Well, some of them know you. But the first thing you have to do when you join a church is you have to gain their trust. They're not going to just accept you just because you've got a church letter. They're not going to. They might say, so, oh, we're glad to have you. Well, we want you. But they're still thinking. They're still watching you. And that takes time. And second, you have to convince them that you're not part of the scandal. Why are you leaving the church that just had a scandal? Because everybody in this town is going to know that there was a scandal. It's just going to be known. They're going to say, well, well, maybe the rumors about you were true because you left the church. Maybe you started the rumor. Maybe you were part of the scandal because you left the church. Do you see how people are thinking? So it's difficult to leave. You need to think through these things. And, And if you do leave... You'll have to wait months or even years before you can gain a a profitable ministry. It's not very many churches. I don't know of any church that would say, oh, okay, well, you're a member of such and such church. You're a Baptist. Come on and lead our Sunday school class. Come on and lead the women's ministry. Come on and do this. No, that's not going to happen, people. It's not going to happen. It's difficult to leave because in Central Baptist Church, even if you are a perpetrator, even if you created a scandal, the people in this church love you and want to see your problem fixed. That's what everybody's been saying. To me, that's what I'm saying. That's what I sense. The people of Central Baptist Church have loved each of you. If you're considering leaving, remember, they have loved you. They have helped you fix your house in some cases. They have brought you meals when you've been sick. They have taught you the scripture in Sunday school. They have prayed for you. They have texted you and said, is everything okay? They love you. Why would you leave that love? That they've shown you for years. And finally, the people of Central Church have fought for you. They have fought for you to to prove that you are a victim and not a perpetrator. They have fought to prove that the rumors are lies and you are innocent. And they have fought for the possibility of you being reconciled if you are the perpetrator in this case. 
This church is all about God's love. Why would you leave it and risk going to a church that's not? Would you stand, please, and close your eyes and bow your heads for a second? We're going to have an invitation.